Amen. And praise the Lord. I greet you in the strong name of Jesus. We're glad you're here today. I know we have a number of our church family who are uh, visiting uh, friends or visiting a vacation spot, uh, trying to get away. And so we pray that they will have safety and uh, be returning refreshed and ready to get it again. But for we who are here, hey, I'm glad to see you this morning. Praise the Lord. And God bless you uh, for your love, for um, praising God and worshiping Him as we prepare to uh, open the Word of of God. You know, uh, how do we worship the Lord? The Scripture says we worship Him in spirit and in what? Truth. Truth. We're going to talk a little bit about truth this morning. It helps us in our worship. And so you'll want to be turning in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Philippians in chapter 4. And we will be reading one verse this morning uh, in just a few moments. I want to say uh, that we've had um, another circumstance that has um, occurred in the, the life of our school administrator and his family. And that is Dr. Brian Krause, who is administrator, head of the school, Lakeview Christian School. His father has passed away, and um, Dr. Krause had mentioned to me for some time that his father, who is living in, was living in Arizona, uh, was struggling with um, Alzheimer's. And he got word uh, this uh, past week that his father, they felt, was nearing the time when he would be leaving. And so I got a text from Brian that he, was, he and the family were on the way to Chicago to catch a, a flight, Uh, to be with the family and hopefully uh, to say uh, goodbye. He did not make it. His father passed. So I want you to be in prayer for the Krause family. They're special, precious people. You know, one of the things Dr. Krause did um, in leadership this past week was he took an entire school that was meeting on Friday and made it possible for us to have a dignified atmosphere here in this place for Dr. McIntyre's memorial service. And it takes a team to do that, and it takes a team leader to do that. And I want to say a special thank you to him and all of the Lakeview staff, and uh, especially the school staff who made accommodations, and for our church staff who worked very hard. A special thank you to uh, Pastor Jim for coordinating so many of these things. We appreciate all of that so much. It's a great uh, thing this morning to be able to say that uh, Dr. McIntyre's spouse of, what is it, Lib, where is Lib? Wave to me. Where, I know you, I know you're here. Where is she? There she is. Was it, is it 63 years married? How many years? 65. 65 years married to that man. Wow. That, that's pretty good. Amen. We need to give the Lord praise and glory for a great model, a great example. Thank you so much. We hear a lot about uh, Dr. Uh, McIntyre's leadership in the denomination. We hear a lot about his, uh, his being loved by his uh, children and many grandchildren. We hear uh, folks who have known him over the years uh, th- praising the Lord for his friendship and uh, all the things that he invested. But, you know, this lady who is here this morning, uh, 65 years, she inherited quite a responsibility in a family overnight. And, you know, she hears a lot about all the other good things, and I know she rejoices, but we're, we're pretty excited about the example that you set, Mrs. McIntyre, Lib, as we love to call her, 
for being such a faithful spouse, a faithful partner in ministry, and so faithful to your children and grandchildren in this big family God gave you. You you are loved. Let's give God praise and glory for that. Thank you. Amen. I have to tell you a quick story, Lib. You didn't probably know this, but we got a little bit of a chuckle while we were getting ready for that service. <clears throat> How many of you remember a fellow by the name of Wayne Schmidt? He happens to be the general superintendent of the Wesleyan denomination right now. Member here, he and Jan for, I don't know, four or five years, something like that. And so he was out of state, was not able to uh, be with us in the service on uh, Friday. And so he sent a letter to be read in the service, which, which we did. It was a beautiful letter, and it, and it, it shared some, some wonderful thoughts. Well, <clears throat> when, when I got to, to mingling in uh, the foyer with lots of folks, uh, the gentleman who was giving the homily in the service, uh, Dr. Norman Wilson, uh, he came up to me and he said, uh, hey, Pastor, I've got, this, I've got this letter somebody gave me from Dr. Schmidt, and they were asking me to read it. But he said, you know, I, I would rather you read it. He said, you're the pastor of the church here, and this, you know what? He said, would you just read it? And I said, well, if you want me to, of course, I'll, I'll read it. <clears throat> and so I had that letter. I hadn't even had a chance to read it yet. And out of the corner of my eye, I spotted our district superintendent, Dr. Mark Gorvett. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that would be a nice thing for him to be able to share in the service. And so I approached him and I said, Dr. Gorvett, we've got, I've got this letter from Dr. Schmidt. Would you, would you want to read this to the body? We'll bring you up. I know you're not in the, in the flow of things in the bulletin there, but, but would you be willing to do that? And he says, well, that's a kind gesture. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And so he said, I'll, I'll do it. So I gave it to him. Well, then um, Dr. David Drury, who's chief of staff of Dr. Schmidt's staff at headquarters, uh, he came up to me and he said, I understand there's a letter from uh, Dr. Schmidt. And I said, yeah, yes, there is. He said, well, I understand Dr. Wilson has it. And I said, well, not anymore. Uh, he gave it to me to read. And I gave it to Dr. Gorvett to read. And so Dr. Gorvett, seeing Dr. Drury, said, well, you're the chief of staff. Why don't you read it? And he said, well, okay, I'll, I'll be glad to read it. And so the letter went to Dr. Drury. And then uh, pretty soon, uh, Dr. Uh, Gonzalez from headquarters came in, and he was inquiring about this letter that the general superintendent... And so anyway, it was like five people uh, were going to read that letter, but it got read, amen? And it was a beautiful letter. It's kind of a funny thing. Any, I thought you'd enjoy. 30 pieces of silver. I hope you got your children involved in this, your grandchildren involved in this. Just reach in, pull out a coin, and teach them, whether it's a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a silver dollar, whatever. And it all goes for a great cause, and the symbolism is, is really beautiful. I appreciated your words, um, Zach, in sharing about the tithes and the offerings. Let me just say this to you. It takes a lot of money to run this place. A lot of money. And you never see the bills when things break. You never see the cost of the repair folks that come out and the bills that they turn in. You never hear really about those things. We just have been trusting the Lord. It's been a long, cold winter. It was hard on you. It was hard on your utilities. It was hard on everybody has these things. So let me just say this. No one's whining about that. We're just saying it can be hard sometimes. 
and things break and things wear out. And so I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Now, let me just say in closing on that theme, I want to encourage you because I love you. I want to encourage you. 10% of what God gives you. If you're not, would you consider placing that in the local church? 10% would you consider doing your best to save? And would you take the 80% left over and ask God to bless you to be able to make it, to pay your bills, to be able to love your family, put clothes on your back, to have a dwelling, uh, to have an automobile that runs and all of that? I know that it's a challenge sometimes, but I would encourage you to use that principle. It's the 10-10-80 principle. 10% to the local church. Let me tell you something. This is the place that we're trying to keep running. And so would you give it first, first, first priority in your heart? I believe that's the spirit and tone of Christ. And so thank you for, for doing that. Then we have all these opportunities for offerings above and beyond. Give Indiana Wesleyan something after that 10% to the local church. Give something to, to missions. Give something to uh, one of these wonderful causes that are helping people. But never forget the importance of the local church. And so I want to encourage you with that. And if you, if you just want to take that to say, My, he, I wish he wouldn't say that. It makes me feel bad. Why? No, that's, I think if you'll consider that and take that to the Lord, he'll say that that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good measure of how to be a good steward. So I encourage you in those things. Every time, anybody been to the doctor's office lately? Hands up. Don't you love it when that happens? That's part of the whole financial thing right there, isn't it? I'm, every time I visit the doctor's office, the nurse asks me, every time, if I take a low-dose aspirin every day as a precaution to some problem I might encounter down the road in life, and I give them the same answer. I'm not going to tell you the answer that I give them, but they get they ask the question every single time, and then I see something like this. Daily aspirin no longer recommended to prevent heart attacks. Anybody see that? Anybody see that? That kind of stuff drives me crazy. How about you? I don't, my mind does not know how to process that. Especially when I'm paying my doctor good money to, he's supposed to know, you know, what's the deal. I, 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 I just struggle with that. There's so, I call those change orders. Anybody ever built a house? Some of you have. You're not raising your hand. So, anybody, uh, when I say anybody ever built a house, I guess that could have meant with the hammer and nails that, well, maybe you haven't. Has anybody ever hired somebody to build a house for you? There we go. All right. So, okay. They, they, they deal with something called change orders all the time. And I would say for the most part, unless, unless, uh, unless that they have not quoted a certain price and they have to deal with change orders within the structure of what they said they'd build the house for, uh, someone may want to add something to it and it, it's, it maybe means a little more profit for them. But most of them quote a price and they have to stay within that. And so, to do a whole lot of change orders can cost the builder money to do those things. And so a lot of times, uh, contractors, they don't like cha- a lot of change orders. 
They would prefer to just, let's just stay with what we quoted, stay with what we all agreed upon, and so on and so forth. There are so many change orders, like the aspirin thing, coming into our brains at the speed of sound, that sometimes it's really hard to know what to think and, and what we can really put our confidence in in this day and age. And you know, with all of those change orders or potential change orders coming along in life, you know, there's a generation of young people, and I don't want to pick, I'm not picking on anybody, but there's a, there's a generation of young people who have convinced themselves that there is really no reliable or convincing reason to believe what former generations have believed, and that would be that the Bible is reliable. And it's reliable to show people the pathway to God. And oftentimes, some of these folks don't even believe in the existence of God anymore. Change orders. And so the reason that we take some time to study the Bible, the reason we take some time to methodically go through Philippians in a series, the way that we do around here, it's to get some wisdom from God about how to process all of these potential change orders that keep happening in our world. And what we find in the Bible is that there are some things that that don't change, will never change, shouldn't change, and they're reliable to give us direction for our lives that will be good for us and will not let us down, down the road. The truth is that having an experience with regard to a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ involves, it involves the whole person. And I want to talk about the whole person for just a moment before we read the scripture. The whole person, meaning body, the spirit, and the mind. Body, the flesh, the spirit, and the mind. Now let me just give a few fundamental facts here. And, and you check, always check all this. Read up on it, and you check it out. But I'm going to make some statements here that I think most of us will say, well, I already knew that, but just let's reaffirm it. Let's take the body for just a moment, and let's talk about it. Now, we're talking in the sense of change orders. How do we process change orders? Change orders, meaning, well, uh, the culture is saying this about the Bible. Uh, the university is saying this about the Bible. That's not what my folks told me. That's not what the church told me. So there's a change order out here that I have to consider. Am I going to go with this change order or am I going to stick with the old deal? That's what I'm talking about. Now let's take the body. The body, the Bible says, is terminal. What that means is that it has a beginning, birth, and it has an ending called death. And a relationship with Jesus Christ promises Christians. So why would anybody want to be a Christian? The Bible says that a relationship with Jesus Christ promises people who have put their faith in Jesus a new body after death that will live eternally with God. That's what the Bible says. There's lots of stuff out there in our culture that are change orders about the body. But the Bible says nothing has changed about the body. It's terminal, it has a beginning, it has an ending, and if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ such that our sins are forgiven, then we're going to get a new body when this body dies and is going to live eternally with God. And so until death, each believer in Jesus then 
is indwelt by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside us to assist us in our journey in life. Okay, that's about the body. The body has this terminal quality to it, but not if you're Christian. Yes, it will physically stop, physically, but it's not really death. Jesus said death for the Christian is like sleep. Amen? Remember that? Death is like sleep to those who are in Christ because they really haven't died. Their body stopped, but they really haven't died. They haven't ceased to exist. And until death, then we have this opportunity through Jesus Christ to be indwelt by the Spirit of, of God, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside us and then begins to enable us, enable this body, enable this mind to be able to navigate life's change orders until God calls us home. All right, now let's talk about the Spirit. Let's talk about the Spirit. This is a part of the body that the eye doesn't see. The Spirit about you, I can't see. Uh, the Spirit about me, you cannot see. You see my body. You do not see the Spirit that God uh, uh, put in me. But it is in reality, the Bible says, the essence of the person. It's really the essence of who we are. It's that part of the human experience, listen, that exists beyond the grave. It is the spirit that exists beyond death, beyond the grave. It's that part of our lives that waits for the judgment of God one day for the people that don't have Christ in their lives. It's the spirit in a person that is waiting without Jesus, is waiting for the judgment of God upon death and whenever God decides this is fin- this is done I'm sending my son bring the bride the church and 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 eternity begins they're waiting for the judgment of God based on their lack of service to him but for those who know Jesus Christ as their savior and who die their spirit goes to be in the presence of God that's what the wisdom of the scriptures teaches us the spirit the essence of it of us when we die, goes to be in the presence of God and waiting for the time when God gives us, or them, the new body that He promised. And then the rewards that He has for us based on our service, based upon our deeds. And so that's the spirit part. The body, the spirit, and for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and allow the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to come in, the Spirit is that which is eternal with God. Now let's talk about the mind. The mind, this is the part of the human experience that involves the thinking part of our lives. We call it the brain. Everybody's got a brain. And the brain does the thinking. God wired us to do the thinking. It accumulates data. It processes data as a knowledge base. Hopefully, it applies wisdom to it. And with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then works in conjunction with the mind and all of the knowledge database that's coming in and the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit 
gives us in this life, until we die, the body dies, gives us the ability to make decisions about life. So we have these three parts of of our human experience. This body, we understand how it works and what to expect. We have the spirit in the body that is in, that is impacted when we come to Jesus. By the way, you need Jesus Christ. You need Je- if you've not asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, you can't have the Holy Spirit in your life. You get the whole, you and I get the Holy Spirit in our lives when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our lives to be our savior. Then the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to work in with our mind, the thinking part of our human experience to help us make decisions. You made a decision to be in church today. How did that happen? With the thinking part of your body. So the experience of salvation, the experience of being what we call born again, those are scriptural terms, the experience of being born again, as the scripture calls it, this experience that affects our bodies, listen, it must also include the spirit and the mind. We need to think of it that way because that's how it works. But there are some conditions. So what are the conditions that the Bible gives us with regard to the born-again experience that should also not only touch the body, but should also touch the spirit and touch the mind? Here we go. If the spirit in a person does not have access to a partnership with the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives when we're born again, then we are prone to act Sometimes upon pure emotion. I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you, have you ever looked on the internet for a subject like this? Quote, man gets so excited at ball game that he falls over the rail and breaks his neck or breaks his arm or sometimes dies. You ever, do it. Get on the internet this afternoon and and just call that subject up and see how absolutely emo people get at a ball game. It happens. Some of us are wired that way. Do you ever sit beside somebody that's at a ball game, watching a ball game? I mean, they can get crazy. Hello? You know anybody like that? I could name some of your names. I've been with some of you. I've been to Iwoo. I've been to watch the Wildcats a little bit. And I, I, I see how it works. The pure emotion, think about it this way. The pure emotion of hearing our favorite singing group making the hair on the back of our neck stand up in church or at a gospel sing is not salvation. Can I get an amen? Yes, the hair on the back of our neck standing up and we are emotionally really charged by it. Some of us more than others. Some of us a lot more than others. Some of us will drive halfway across the country to have that experience. But it's not salvation. It's not a bad thing. It's just not salvation. It feels great. It's a good thing. But it's not the whole thing. So the experience of salvation must involve... The process of the mind. 
Salvation was never intended to be a mindless emotional experience. Nor was it intended to be a mere intellectual exercise. You know anybody that knows the plan of salvation? That have been in church all their lives? But as you've watched the story of their lives unfold, it doesn't appear that there's much practice in what the Bible teaches. But they know the scriptures, maybe can quote them better than you, and hardly ever miss a Sunday. So I know, I know people that went to Bible college and seminary that I have to, I promise you, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if they were ever in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they know the intellectual portion of what the scripture says. So it's never intended to only be the emotion that hypes us up. You know, we have have people that will, (laughs) this has happened at every church where I've ever been, where they've got good music. We have good music here. There are people that get so emotionally motivated by music that you could preach the great truths of God's word. And all week long, all they'll tell their neighbors is how great that song was on Sunday morning. Because the hair on the back of their neck stood up. That's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you from my heart, this is the truth. The experience of salvation must involve the process of the mind. Salvation was never intended to be a mindless emotional experience, nor was it intended to be a mere intellectual exercise. Giving our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, it will likely have a degree of emotion to it, some more, some less, depending on who it is. But the experience must be processed through the mind because God desires that we have an understanding of what is truly taking place in our lives. So we're moving from spiritual death to spiritual life, and he wants us to be able to process what that means. So... Now, here we come to the scripture. So Paul, in the closing thoughts of this letter that we've been studying for weeks and weeks, this is number 43 times that we have met on this book that has four chapters. In these closing thoughts of the letter to the Philippian church, he's giving us tremendous information about the role of the mind, how the brain brain works in helping us process the born-again life, And ultimately, how to be stable. Can you say the word stable? Stable. Okay, say it out loud so you can wake yourself up because this is a little intellectual thing. Okay, so wake yourself up and say stable. One, two, three. Stable! Okay. Okay, so we got to get this. We got to get this. Now, see, stable, and I said stable kind of loud, and that got a little emotional charge there, whatever. See, we like like that kind of preaching, but you shouldn't have to have that. You should be able to hear with your spiritual ears the things that God wants you to intellectually process. And if the choir did extra good or the worship band did extra good, great. We love it. And if they didn't, it doesn't change anything because we are still here with spiritual ears on, wanting, hungry to hear the truth of God's word that helps us to run deep so that we are stable. How, how did a Dr. McIntyre live such a stable spiritually life so devoted to the local church? The broader church, yes, but the local church. 
How does that happen? Stability. So Paul gives us these words about how, to, how the mind helps us process change orders. A change order. I went to the university. I took a class. And my professor said there is no God. I took a class. And my professor said that abortion is the thing that we should do. I took a class. And, and my professor said marijuana should be legal. And we should just do blah, 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 blah. And one, one thing after another. Change order after change order. So we got a little pre- preview from Paul on how we can deal with that. Here we go. Fin- finally. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. For the sake of time, let me say it this way. Living a stable Christian life involves something we need to do over the course of our spiritual journey. It's described by a Greek word that Paul uses called logizomai. Logizomai. The New American Standard Version translates logizomai as dwell, to dwell upon. To dwell upon. Greek scholar Kenneth Weiss translates it, These things make the subject of careful reflection. These things, those things that I just read, these things, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, these things make the subject of not just uh, uh, observation, but careful reflection. The New Living Translation says, think about. In other words, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, think about it. Think on it. Study on it. Dwell on it. Think about what? All right, let's walk through this quickly. Think about what? That which is true. What does that mean? Jesus in his prayer to the Father said this in John 17, 17. He said, Father, sanctify them. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. How do we worship the Lord? In spirit and what I, what I say? In spirit and what? Truth. So he said, set them apart holy in truth. And then he says this about the Bible. This is what he says about the Bible. Young people, when you go off and you're away from the church uh, and, and uh, out of your parents' home and all that sort of thing, and you have to figure, hopefully you're not going to get away from church, but, and someone tells you something different. This is what Jesus says about the Bible. Your word is what? Truth. Now, there are a lot of people in this world that want to give you a change order on that. No, no. Uh, the Bible, there's places where it contradicts itself. Most of the time, if you ask them, show me one, they don't know. I don't know. I just know it does. Somebody really smart might point to a particular scripture or whatever. And, you know, hopefully you'll be able to know the word of God and be able to help them sort that out. But Jesus' own words are about the scriptures. He said, this is truth. This is truth. It doesn't get any better from Jesus. The next word he says is think about things that are honorable. What, what's the root of that honorable business? That means if you're taking notes, this will help you because it's easy to blow right through that scripture and not be able to say, well, what's it? Okay, okay, honorable. Huh? Okay, I kind of know what honorable is, but I don't, I don't know. What's that supposed to really mean in terms of the mind and, and change orders and navigating my life? Honorable means think about things that are worthy of respect. 
Think on things that are not mundane. Think on things that have dignity. Things that have dignity. Now, we can all make a joke. We can all have a laugh about a lot of different things. Uh, There are things now, whether if you get on XM uh, radio or if you get on certain channels on the TV or whatever, they have like comedy channels now, right? Hey, who doesn't like to hear a good joke? Who doesn't like to laugh? Who who isn't lifted in their spirit by a funny every once in a while? And and so that happens. And every once in a while, uh, I don't have it turned on right now, but I've had XM before. And I turn on the comedy channel and I'm tooling tooling down the road. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got a long ride here. I'm I'm open for a good joke. I'm happy to laugh uh, down the road here, whatever. And then it doesn't take but one minute into a, a comedian's routine To know whether it is going to be mundane, lacking dignity, and in some cases, as vulgar as it gets. And what God, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't let your mind, that's, that's a, that's click that channel. That's click that channel. Why? Because, because Paul says our minds need to be fixed on things that have dignity and that are worthy of respect. I, I think we can have humor and I, hey, listen, I've busted a gut before over funny stuff. I, I love to laugh, but it doesn't have to be vulgar. It doesn't have to be mundane. It doesn't have to lack dignity. Amen. Now we, we get out of practice with that. And so we need to be careful. This is a, a Sunday to say, Paul is saying, hey, hey, brothers, sisters, be careful on this because the mind needs to process this stuff. Okay. Here's the third word. Right. He said, think on things that are right. What's that word from? Dikaios. Dikaios. And it literally means innocent. Think about things that have a certain innocence about them. This would be thinking in such a way that, excuse me, that we, uh, you say, well, how do you sleep at night? Uh, do you sleep with a clear conscience? Can you, yeah, I sleep, I sleep just fine. I sleep just fine because my conscience is clear. Why? Because I have done my best to maintain my duty to man and my duty to God. My duty to man might be to my family, to my spouse, to my children, to my grandchildren, to my neighbors, to my boss, uh, to the place where I work. I'll do my duty to man, but I also know that I need to do my duty to God. And when I have given it my very best on duty to man and duty to God, my conscience is pretty clear and I sleep well. That's what, that's what right is talking about, that we can sleep good at night because our conscience does not condemn us. The next word is the word pure. He said, consider thinking about things that are pure. That's from the Greek word hagnos, and it means holy. Think about things that are holy. And I I think what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, uh, think about things that are morally undefiled. Do you know what immorality is? If you don't know what immorality suggests, then you need, to, you need to look it up and you need to study on it because God does not want us to be an immoral people. And so when you finally begin to discover what morality entails, Paul is saying when you get that figured out, and the Bible will give us wisdom about that, he said these are the things to set your mind on, to set your brain, your thinking part of your body. Think about things that are pure and holy, the holiness of God. 
The next word is the word lovely. The word lovely, that's a, that's a little hard one in the Greek. It's hard to bring it across in the English. So I'm going to give you what scholars believe are several words that help to dredge up what Paul says. Think about these things. Put your mind, your brain power on things like this. Here we go. Things that are winsome. Say, I don't know what winsome means. Look it up. Look it up. You can look up that definition and it'll tell you that to be winsome is to be pleasing. To to work on being gracious. And we've talked about gracious speech, gracious body language, gracious attitudes, whatever. Things that, that, that are attractive to other people. Things that are attractive to other people. There are things that, that are just, they're sweet. There are things that are just, um, uh, yesterday, yeah, this sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I don't mean it in that spirit, but I don't mind you to know about it. But, but I, I, I'm, I'm driving, driving up the, the bypass and I, and I just felt prompted. I said, I'm, I, I'm buying my wife a dozen roses today. I'm just doing that. Why? Because because I love her and and I wanted to do a sweet thing, and so so I did. I went to like eight places for a deal, and I find no, I didn't. <laughs> I, so I, you know, it's just it, that's part of being winsome. If if you want to know if she liked it, you can. She's here, so you can ask her. Did she like that? The answer is yes, she liked it, and there was no hidden agenda, and I hadn't been naughty or done anything wrong. I I ju- that was. Every once in a while, us guys get it right. Every once in a while, okay? And so that's a prompt. There's a spiritual prompting. That's part of being winsome. That's part of being attractive. That's part of being pleasing. It's part of being kind. It's, it's part of, of being attractive to other people. Well, we should really be doing that in the life of the church, in the local church. We, 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 that's part of what, why we talk about. Got to be careful with your tongue. Got to be careful with your attitude. Got to be careful with greeting people and, 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 and how we disagree with people or have differences of opinion or whatever. He said, think about things that are lovely. Just think about that a little more with your brain power. Okay. And then the last one, he says, think about things that are of a good repute. Well, take that word repute and turn it into reputation. Thoughts that would yield a favorable reputation. What kind of reputation are you and I developing as Christians as a result of the things that we're thinking about that leads us to the action items that we take? How many of you have ever used in the kitchen a tool called a strainer? A strainer. Okay, most of us know what that's about. Uh, sometime or another, you've used one. They're, they're great because what they do is they filter out the things that we don't want in our food or that we don't want in our, our drink, our beverage, or that we don't want inside our engine or that we don't want uh, in our fuel tank or uh, whatever. Uh, they're really great tools. And the Bible is saying, Paul is saying that our brains are strainers for living in this world, this fallen world. The brain is the part that strains out the things that we don't want in our lives. So for the Christian, the strainer is theoretically, theoretically, the strainer should be working 24-7. Amen? 24-7. I mean, a person can unconsciously have a dream that's naughty. Amen? 
It may not be because you were thinking of something, but you just had a bad dream. It could happen to somebody. And even in a dream at night, strain it out. Strain it out. Our minds are the strainers for our, our bodies and our, our Christian experience living in this world to, to live lives that are pleasing to God. So here's the challenge to spiritual stability. So you want to be spiritually stable? Do you want to be able to live in 2019 and be, before God, be considered, hey, that is a spiritual man. That is a stable man. That is a stable woman. That is a stable marriage. That is a stable church. That is a stable son, a stable daughter, a stable employer. In terms of the Christian experience, this is a stable person. The challenge of to, to, to spiritual stability is that the strainer sometimes gets dirty from time to time. Case in point, the picture. Sometimes the strainer that is supposed to be taking all of these change orders that are potentially being brought before us constantly, it's by the enemy of, of Christ, constantly bringing these things through the culture, through movies, through uh, the media, through what, whatever it is, uh, with the brain working closely with the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the mind is to strain out nasty, to protect us, to help us to make good decisions for direction in our lives. And sometimes the strainer can get dirty and it needs to be cleaned. It's like an oil change in your car or the filter on your, your furnace or your air conditioner. Sometimes the strainer just needs a good cleaning. And my friends, that is what reading and meditating on the scriptures on a regular basis does for your mind and mine. Even when we don't know the strainer is dirty. Sometimes we haven't even realized that it's gotten a little clogged and a little plugged in some areas. And so when we come together in the house of God, when we come together in a Sunday school class, when we come together in a small group, when we come together in an atmosphere like this and we're opening the word of God, we are challenging one another's brains to make sure the strainer is clean so that it is, it is hearing properly from the Holy Spirit in us and that we are properly computing uh, what needs to come next. It's a precious and a necessary part of living in a world of constant change. And God wants us to intellectually, God wants us to intellectually understand our salvation experience. He also wants us to intellectually understand how he intended the mind to work with the Holy Spirit in navigating our way through the challenging philosophies and the potential strongholds that the enemy throws our way. The mind The mind is so incredibly powerful. It's it's hard for me to describe. Uh, Maybe something like, do you remember having puppy love? The mind is incredibly powerful. The first time you look at a beautiful girl, you men, or the first time you meet a boy that is 
a nice-looking guy, and he's got a good personality. Everybody kind of seems to like him, and he's nice, he's personable, and he's, he's, he's respectful and polite and all that sort of thing. And you begin to, the eyes begin to connect, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, something, something, something special is happening here. And then the heart goes. Then the heart goes. And we would say the initial part of that is called puppy love, and it's powerful. Why? Because you can't get your brain off of it very easy. For some people, it's a rock concert. For some people, it's playing on a sports team. For some people, it's the March Madness bracket. I'm watching some of it, so are you, if you like sports. Why wouldn't you? For some of us, it's a gospel group. For some of us, it's a car. For some of us, it's a home. For some of us, it is a spouse. For some of us, it is a child. For some of us, it is a job. For some of us, it is a position of respect. For some of us, it's, it's something else. But it's powerful what the mind fixes on sometimes. And your mind and my mind can hear a change order out there and say, well, you know what, there, there's oh, something I read. I don't know, somebody, somebody refuted something in the scripture. And man, I didn't have an answer intellectually for it. And man, it's, it stumped me. And, and it gave me pause. And I don't, even, I don't even know if I, sometimes I think this is all a big hoax and I fell for it. You ever had that thought race through your mind? I think this is all a big hoax, this Jesus thing. And those are the strongholds of the mind. And we can get so fixated sometimes on the wrong thing because the strainer is dirty. It hasn't been feeding on the Word. It it came to church on Sunday and it never cracked the book on Monday. See, this is Paul loving us and saying, you don't want to go there because the change orders can get you. The mind, it's incredibly powerful, but it needs education by the Holy Spirit to process all the data coming through. The mind has got to be educated. And that is the value of reading God's Word and being a part of a local body of believers who are working toward the same goal. What is the same goal? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Let me just listen to this. Let your spirit resonate with this. For though we walk in the flesh, we got bodies. We do not war according to the flesh, because it's not about somebody trying to stab you or hit you with a sword or shoot a bullet through you. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. These are change orders that get our attention, but they're wrong. They're wrong about life because they're not rooted in truth. We, the brothers and sisters in Christ, are destroying speculations. That's data. Those are change orders that the devil is throwing at us, sometimes at the university, sometimes in the culture, sometimes in the secular world. And they're changed. And he says, we're not buying into it. We're not falling prey to it. He said, we're destroying those ideas 
and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge. How do, what is knowledge about? It's about the mind, the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought, thought, thinking, every, the mind, every thought, we are taking every thought captive, captive to the obedience of Christ. J. Mason, in his book, The Christian Faith in the Modern World, said this, and I quote, What the Holy Spirit does in the new birth, when you come to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, when the Holy, what the Holy Spirit does in the new birth is not to make a man a Christian regardless of the evidence, but on the contrary, to clear away the mists from his eyes and enable him to attend to the evidence, unquote. And so in First Thessalonians, Paul says, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Now let me give you just a little mental illustration exercise and then we're finished. Pick, pick someone. If you're married, you can pick a spouse. You're not going to talk about this, so don't worry about it. Pick someone. Pick your best friend. Pick, pick a mother or a father. Pick a brother or a sister. Pick, pick, pick the boss down at work. Or pick an employee that you work beside. Or pick, pick a fellow church person. Whatever it is. Pick anybody, any one person that you want for just one moment. And I want you to picture two lists, two, two pieces of paper about that person. On the first side, I want you to list all the things you can think of that are wrong with the person that's on the list. I asked my wife the other day, I said, honey, if I ask you to list some things wrong with me as a man, as a husband or whatever, could, could you list, make a list of those things that you, from your perspective, aren't the best, that are wrong with me? From your perspective. And she said, no answer. <laughs> and I'm glad. I'm glad. But I, I, but I got the impression from her body language that she could probably do that. <laughs> and then I said, on the other side of the paper, would you list some of the things that are right about me from your perspective? And she says, yeah, I, I, I could do both of those. And you probably could do both of those with your spouse. You could probably do both of those sheets with your best friend, with your parents, with your teacher at school. Uh, I mean, we've got some incredible educators here in this place. And so, I don't know, Aaron, do you think your students could say, yep, I think there's some stuff about, you know, my teacher that, I wish she'd do different, but are there some things that they like about you? And you, I think you know that. They're, they're, everybody should be able to have something on both of those lists. The question in closing is this. Which list are you going to live in? Which list is Paul suggesting that we live on? 
Which one of those lists? Granted, there's another list. Which one is Paul saying, think on these things? Which one of those lists are you living on with your spouse, with your friend, with your boss, with your employee, with your fellow church member? Which one of those lists? With your pastor. If I had, I didn't want to use myself as an example, but it's easy because I'm up here in front of everybody. Anybody got a list of things that you think are wrong with how I pastor this church? I know some of you got a list. I know you do. Every church does. I hope you've got another list that says, well, there's some really good things that he does. Which one are you living on? Which one are you living on with our staff? Which one are you living on with our church board? Which one are you living on with your Sunday school teacher? Which one are you living on with the people that you're going to interface with? In the, and we're just talking about the local church family. He said, they're, they're going to know you know me by the love that they see you and I just de- uh, demonstrating. So here's the closing word. And I'm going to give you the quote from Ken Wiest, the Greek scholar. And here's how he reads that verse in closing. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever things have the character of truth, Whatever things are worthy of reverence, whatever things are righteous, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are attractive, whatever excellence there is or fit object of praise, these things make the subject of careful reflection, dwelling on, thinking on, using the old noodle to think on those things. The things also which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things habitually, on a regular basis, practice. And the God of peace, that's how you get peace. The God of peace. He'll be with you if you'll think on these things. So this is a very practical message. This isn't about, this is about for all of us, me, all of us. You want to know how to navigate the change orders that are coming at us every day? Move. It's, look, think on what you saw at the last movie you saw. Ah, I wish I hadn't spent money on that movie. Ah, that, was a, that was a loser. Wasn't even funny, wasn't even interesting, but it, wasn't, it was vulgar. It didn't even have dignity. It didn't even, I'm going to be more careful the next time I say, you want to go to the movies? Well, I don't see anything. I'm like, well, let's go anyway because we, we're bored. Or the next song that we listen to and the lyrics that we sing. Or the television show that we watch or whatever it may be. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. This is just for introspection. And this is your brain brain at work. Your brain at work in conjunction with how the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Some of us, some of us, we are, some of us are, have such incredible brains that we, we get the idea that we're, we, we can just dredge up the decisions that we need by ourselves. But it can't be done and not, not please the Lord. We need the, the help of the Holy Spirit. And we find that help in reading and digesting God's Word. So I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if, you, if you're not sure that you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you can't have the Holy Spirit's help. That's what the Bible says. You get the Holy Spirit's help when you, when you put your love on Jesus, God's Son. God likes it when you honor His Son. And when you don't trust His Son, God's not happy about that. And you don't get His favor. You can still talk to Him about whatever you want, 
But he likes it when you love his boy, when you love his son. And so if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and life and meant it, you need to do that. And you can do that by just calling out to him in your heart. It's a prayer. And saying, God, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. I've flubbed up a lot. And I don't even know why you'd want me. But the preacher keeps saying you want me. But I, I need Jesus. And I need somebody to help me with all this sin debt I've got. And so, Jesus, you died. The Bible says for me. And I want that to work in my life. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need what the preacher was talking about. I need help with my brain because sometimes my brain takes me in the wrong direction. And I even make good grades in school, but sometimes my brain takes me in the wrong direction. And sometimes I pick the wrong, the wrong channels. And so, Father, would you just teach us your ways and help us to harness our brain power that you've given us so that it is walking in the Spirit, is thinking in the Spirit, and help us to think on these lofty things that Paul has given us. And we need your help. Because there's all kinds of things from from struggling with, with grief, from struggling with financial strains, from struggling with philosophies that are coming and going in our politics, in our world, in our culture, and struggling with, with uh, diagnoses that are challenging. And we just, it causes us to want to get all anxious about everything. And you said to think on things that are lofty and that... If we would just, first of all, bring it to you in prayer and thank you for overseeing our lives, that you would help us to think the right way and that you would protect us from the enemy's assault. And I ask you for this as a blessing upon this people who know you. And all of God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord. Let's stand. Hey, uh, I hope that you feel like you were encouraged today. If not, go home, think about it some more. Okay, think, think, think. And we want to be a thinking people. God wants us to be a thinking people. Yes, have some emotion. Sing with gusto. Enjoy the music. But be a thinking Christian. Understand what it means to be saved, to be born again. And continue to feast upon the truth of God's word. Because Jesus said, His word is truth. So, Father, bless us now as we go out into the highways and byways. Let us bring somebody with us next week. Let us get our financial uh, world in order. Let us get our priorities properly sorted out. Lord, we love that British phrase, word that they use, to get things sorted out according to your pleasure. And help us, Lord, to be faithful as we think through life with the help of your Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. You are loved.